I think the hardest part for any type of caregiver is the feeling of the hopelessness. Um, you kind of feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing everything that I can, but you still feel that, could I be doing more? This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and this is part one of our special two-part podcast about the 2020 Stephanie's Champions. These caregiving superstars are the unsung heroes of so many people's cancer journeys, and Stephanie's Champions was started in the year 2000 to recognize the family members and friends who pitched in, helped out, and went above and beyond to take care of a loved one, often putting their own lives on hold so they could be there for someone else. In part one, we'll talk to two of the champions and the person they each cared for. In part two, we'll talk to the other two champions as well as the loved one they each cared for. But first, we have the original Stephanie's champion, Chris Spielman, and also Chris and Stephanie's daughter, Maddie, is joining us. Welcome to the podcast, Chris and Maddie. Thanks so much. Hi, Steve. Before we get to Stephanie's champions, Maddie, I think you should tell everyone about your current job. Yeah, Steve, it's been a, definitely a full circle journey for me. I've now been working at the James for um, a little over two years now, and I, I always knew that I wanted to end up there in some capacity, but I just didn't know that now was going to be my time and the opportunity presented itself and I was blessed enough to um, be given that opportunity and I took it and I actually um, get to work firsthand on a lot of Spielman Fund events and other community partners and signature events for our development team so it's just been a great um, a great way for me to carry on my mom's legacy and then also see how her memory is still alive. Chris, what's that like for you to have your daughter following in the footsteps of you and Stephanie and raising money for cancer research? It's great. Uh, although, you know, sometimes in all honesty, it gets exhausting when you're surrounded by cancer all the time. And, you know, you have to, you just kind of learn how to live with it and deal with it. I mean, the rewards are wonderful and the stories that you hear, but we know in a cancer world, there's no ties, right? There's either great wins or great losses. But I think the more you're exposed to it, the more you're involved with it, knowing that you're doing something good and helpful to others, I think that's the motivation behind it. But I'm not going to say, uh, even for me or, as she's turning my phone off, even for me or my family, I think sometimes it does get challenging. But uh, I also think that the rewards uh, far outweigh any challenges that come our way. Well, let's transition over to Stephanie's Champions and how that helps in that battle to create more wins and, and fewer losses. What, yeah. Where did the idea for this come from, the idea to recognize and honor caregivers who are the sort of unsung heroes of the cancer journey? Do uh, you want to answer that? Um, sure. You can add whatever okay. you want. Thank um, you. <laughs> I have so a feeling. Not a problem for Chris to add things. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my mom created the Champion Award, like you said, 
back in 2000, and my dad was the first recipient of that award. And I think she was really looking for a unique way to honor the caretakers in the lives of cancer survivors. You know, you hear so many stories of the sacrifices people make and everything that they give up and all that time that they dedicate to that person going through their cancer journey. But there's not a really way to thank them. And sometimes as the survivor, thank you isn't enough. So my mom created this actual physical form of thank you and a whole event and day dedicated to the caretakers and the cancer survivors. And it's really unique a really unique concept, and I think she was ahead of her time in a lot of ways, but she created this award for my dad, who had sacrificed and given up so much for her during her time of need. Now, Chris, in when she created it in 2000, were you the only winner that year, or did or were there multiple? No, I think there were, there were other winners that year. Everybody understands in a cancer journey, and, you know, I've been in this game since 1998, so 22 years, that it's not a disease that affects only the person with cancer. It affects everybody that loves them and that's around them. And so I think what Stephanie was able to realize, because she had so much grace and humility, that she wanted everybody else to understand that it's a family disease. I mean, it affects everybody. And so she noticed what not only I may may not have done or others have done around her to help her battle this disease, but she wanted to bring that in and put that out as the, the focus. And not only is the person that is um, dealing with the cancer show signs of courage, but I think people around them show signs of courage and selflessness. And the cool thing about it is the stories that we get to read every single year and the people that we get to meet, uh, I'm, I was no different than anybody else. It's just that we made it public and we recognize the folks that are willing to basically just love. There's no other word for it. There's no, I mean, it's sacrifice and all that stuff, but it's just uh, love. That's what you do when you love somebody. Now, Maddie, you sort of grew up watching that how how old were you when when your mom was first diagnosed um was i four yeah yeah i was four um but you know i always tell people that my mom did everything in her power to make our lives as normal as possible that i often forgot that anything was going on with her at all and that was just the type of person she was and she made everything so fun i remember when she first initially had to shave her head we had a hair shaving party in our backyard and everything was just about us and not her in that moment and looking back um, you really just realize how selfless and how strong she was going through that. But yeah, this is something that I have been around for the majority of my life. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard, but I also know that there's so many other people who go through it, not just me. And I want to be a rock and a voice for people to know that they're not alone during the situation and that it's okay to talk about. You know, I know when I was going through the loss of my mom, I, I held things in a while, and that really did a number on me. And I just want people to know that this is something that it's okay to talk about and that they're not alone in their situation. 
Now, over the years, there have been a lot of Stephanie's Champion winners that you've gotten to meet and know. What have you each sort of learned from them about caregiving, about family? I know faith is an important part of your lives. What lessons did you learn from them? Um, I would say a couple things. One is that sometimes the person uh, that I learned would be if you're the sole caretaker with help from other family members, but you're the one that's always there. Sometimes you feel like nobody could possibly understand what I'm feeling right now, feeling overwhelmed, feeling scared. Uh, it's like an old friend that sits on your shoulder that takes a nap once in a while, but taps you on the shoulder and says, uh, I'm still here and I'm not going anywhere for a while. So sometimes, what I learned then was that other people know exactly what I know, know exactly how I feel, understand that fear, understand what it's like on scans day, understand what it's like to sit in your kitchen and wait for the phone to ring uh, to have the doctor tell you uh, the results of a PET scan, an MRI, mammogram, whatever the test may be. And that was the biggest thing for me. And so you can lean on each other. And I know that some of the champions, you probably know this better than I do, but have developed relationships by meeting uh, through our event. I think, and the other thing that I learned is that, you know, there's not a right way or a wrong way how to deal with it. It's just not. It's just whatever works for that person and whatever works for that uh, friend group or, or family. And that's the cool thing. There's more ways than one to be a support system. And you don't have to be the main person all the time. It's just somebody in the background. And one last point, you got me on a roll because there's so many lessons to be learned. So, Steve, if you would say to somebody, hey, you know how we say this sometimes in passing, and I'm guilty of it. Hey, is there anything, if there's anything I can do to ever help, let me know. Right. And you better mean it when you say it. And then I can't be afraid to say, hey, here's what I need you to do. And don't be afraid to ask for help. And then if you volunteer your help, you better be able to back it up. Okay. That's a great point because people want to help, but sometimes they're not sure or sometimes, but if they say something, be there. So Maddie, what, what have you learned from watching first your dad and now getting to meet all these other people? I, I mean, I am just blown away every single year um, reading these stories. I think it is a true testament of um, the power of just unconditional love and the power of having incredible people in your lives. Um, it's just, it's humbling because sometimes, you know, you, you catch yourself feeling sorry for yourself or having a bad day and then you read these stories of hope and determination and it just never fails to restore my faith in humanity. And it just brings me back and it humbles me and it motivates me because these people are going through something that is unimaginable. And so for us to be able to just give them a day, you know, give them a day to celebrate, um, it, it means the world to me. And it's, it's a really cool thing that we're able to do. Real quick, Steve, um, I just want to make this important point because my pride got in the way early on in ego. So I would be like, I can do it myself. I'll do it. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I know what to do. 
And the biggest thing I learned was probably when a friend of mine, and our faith dictates this, so bear with me one second, that he, he pulled me aside and he said, you're a selfish son of a gun. I go, what are you talking about, dude? What, what you, I just, you know, I walked away from football. What do you mean I'm selfish? Because by you saying, I can do this, no, I don't need your help, no, I don't want to bother you, you're denying people from serving you and serving Stephanie and most importantly, serving God. And that really smacked me in the face. That's why I got to the point of if, if you ask people for help, you're actually empowering them to control something or to control their fear or their emotions involving that person that they're helping. You're empowering them to take action. So that's a really cool thing. The biggest lesson I learned was that. Chris and Maddie are going to rejoin us in part two of this podcast. But first, we're going to take a quick break and continue with part one. And when we come back, we'll talk to our first champion, Carolyn Francis. It's a pretty amazing story, so stay tuned. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back and ready to meet our first Stephanie's champion, Carolyn Francis, and her twin sister, identical twin sister, Carla Bailey. Carla was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2013. She had five children, and her husband was set to deploy to Iraq three days before her surgery. So, Carla, that must have been an incredibly difficult time for you for, for so many reasons. What was going through your mind? How did your sister Carolyn step up for you? I think the biggest uh, feeling that I had was um, I felt sad for my husband because it was something he really wanted to be there for me. And he is a, a strong person. Uh, he is a colonel in, in the army. And it was a big deal for him to be there with me. And during a time when the worst time of my life, he wasn't able to be there. But we had a good comforting feeling of knowing that my twin sister was there and my whole family. But she really stepped up and she took uh, a big part of the burden of uh, the feeling of um, that I had of feeling guilty, of feeling sad, of feeling scared, um, and just feeling frustrated. Uh, because as a mother of five children, there was still a lot in our household that needed to be done. But she helped took care of it. Now. Um, Carolyn, you're a small business owner. You were also married and have, had children. You dropped everything to be by your sister's side. Sort of walk us through the process of what made you become a superstar caregiver. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, basically, you just have to do what has to be done. Um, I basically kind of put my life on hold um, with my family by speaking with my spouse to let him know um, that my time is not going to be my own uh, during this process with Carla. 
um, also wanted to make sure that her husband, Doug, had a comfort level of leaving. You know, he was the, um, deployed to a medical unit, um, and so he was much needed. And, you know, in the Army, you just can't stop um, that process. Um, so I let him know that I was going to be there for Carla um, during the whole dur uh, whole duration of his time overseas. Um, and that's what I did. So literally the day of the surgery, um, having our ministers there to pray over Carla, I arranged all that, um, getting, getting our senior parents there, um, other, fam other family members as we waited for the process of a very long surgery um, that lasted hours and hours uh, because she also had um, the surgery and then the plastic surgery um, right afterwards. So we were there probably 12 to 14 hours. Um, and then the recuperation process, uh, basically I moved into the house um, to help uh, slept in the same bed with her um, and, and was just there the whole time to make sure that everybody was taken care of, make sure she was taken care of. Our other sister girl uh, stepped in as well. Um, and Carla has uh, also had a special, she has a special needs daughter. So we had um, extra work on that hand to make sure she was taken care of, as well as the younger children to be take, taken care of for school and, and different things of that nature. So that's, that's what I did. Now, being identical twins, perhaps you had a special bond that drew you together in this time of need. We have always had a special bond. Um, I think definitely right from birth. Uh, we are each other's best friends and uh, we've always uh, been included in each other's lives for all occasions. We were also pregnant together twice uh, with two of our children, uh, but it's a, it, it's a bond that is something uh, that is unexplainable except to other twins who understand that there's a love there, there's a sensitivity and a caring that just keeps going on. Now, Carolyn, what was for you the hardest part of, of being a caregiver for your sister? I think the hardest part for any type of caregiver is the feeling of hope, the hope, the hopelessness. Um, you kind of feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing everything that I can, but you still feel that, could I be doing more? You're also dealing with the emotional stress of uh, seeing a person that you care about, um, being in discomfort, being concerned with the prognosis, um, and how do we go further on. Um, feeling uh, that, am I going to get it next? Because we are identical twins, we split from one egg, and so that issue was heavy on my mind as well. But then you don't worry about it. You can't. You have to just keep going and making sure that she's taken care of. Yeah, I did want to ask you about that. If you then are, are now getting more frequent mammograms, if you've been genetically tested, if you somehow, if there was some genetic mutation that caused yours, do, what, what, what happened for you? Carol, well, this is Carolyn now. I understand. Um, I, we did, Carla got the genetic testing. Mm -hmm. um, it only has to be done with one of us because we're identical twins. Right. That was the best part is that she got that done. And so I am in the clear. Um, so is her daughter. We try to make sure that all of our, our relatives are aware that this runs in our family. 
and to get tested. And yes, I do. I do get tested on a regular basis. Um, I get MRIs as well. Um, and I have been, I've been clean. Um, but uh, it, that anytime I have any sensations in, in any of my breasts, I'm like, oh God. Um, but I, you know, we just keep active with um, everything that we have to do to make sure that we're uh, getting tested on a, on a regular basis and then also doing ourselves exams as well. So Carla, where are you on the, the, the line of your cancer journey? You were first diagnosed in 2013. How are you doing today? Um, in 2013, I was diagnosed um, as stage three, and so I had the double mastectomy and reconstruction as well as chemotherapy and radiation. Uh, five years, and I was continually getting um, tested every six months uh, with my doctors at the Stephanie Spillman. But then on my five-year anniversary, I found a lump under my underarm and went straight to Dr. Farr. And uh, he did a, a biopsy and, and stated, yeah, it is, it's cancer again. And then with my oncologist, Dr. Ramasamy, um, she instilled in that, okay, it's time to do scans and bone, uh, bone scans at this time. And then we found more cancer. Um, I had a lesion in my brain. And so um, I have had uh, brain surgery where we got the entire lesion out. Uh, right now I am stage four. Uh, with metastatic breast cancer, and uh, the cancer has now went to my bones, um, but I'm doing wonderful um, treatments with Dr. Ramasamy. Um, Dr. Farr, I see him twice a year to follow up on the lump that is still under my arm, but is being watched, and the treatments that I'm taking at Stephanie Spillman. So in, in my frame of mind, um, I am comforted in knowing that my doctors, who are now my friends, um, care a lot about me, and mm -hmm. we are staying very close to doing everything that we're doing. And uh, my twin sister, of course, is my hero again. Uh, my husband has now retired from the military after 34 years as a colonel, and so he is now um, head first and doing everything with me, being at all my appointments. Uh, but my sister is a big part of it too. So I feel pretty good. And I hope you continue to feel really good for a long, long time. One last question for Carolyn. What have you learned from being such a great caregiver for your sister? Uh, of how strong my sister is, number one, and the beautiful family of breast cancer survivors and medical staff who have been now part of our, our family. You know, we've met a lot of people through this journey. Uh, some are still with us and some are not. But just to see the strength of them with their families and all of us just, we have the same goal. We celebrated our, our, our 60th and uh, just a couple months ago, and we're looking forward to, you know, what God has in store for us and our family. But we do take each day at a time, and that's what I think the important thing is that we all should do. And we are very excited to have our church, Second Baptist, uh, to have all the ladies and all the men get mm -hmm. together for the virtual run for Stephanie Spillman. We did it last year yeah. and we were so excited. The church is so excited to do it again. And we will always be a, a, a um, supporter of Stephanie Spillman because some of our um, 
church members go there as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a big deal for us. And it's a big deal that my sister got picked as one of the champions because that was something that I really, truly, truly wanted for her to be recognized. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I'm glad you have each other. I'm glad you have your families and your church community and your new James community helping you. And so again, thanks for sharing your story. Okay. Thank Thank you. you. Take care. We'll be right back and we'll talk to our next Stephanie's champion. Our next champion is Andrew Adams, who was nominated by his older sister, Marilyn J. Song. Thanks for joining us, Andrew and Marilyn, and and sharing your story. Thank you so much for having us. (laughs) So there's a little bit of a backstory, a, a really sad one to Marilyn's cancer journey. And your mom was diagnosed with breast cancer several years ago. So Marilyn, can you tell us a little bit about that and then how that impacted your own cancer diagnosis several years later? Yes. Um, She was actually diagnosed in um, 1998, um, just three months after I gave birth to my first son. So um, what started as a really happy time in our life uh, quickly turned into a very scary time for our whole family. Andrew was only 14 at the time, so he was very young. Um, I was 25. And um, that cancer journey, her cancer journey lasted 12 and a half years. So that was, um, yeah, a very, a very trying time, but um, it brought our family very close to, um, you know, looking after mom those years. Now, Marilyn, were you one of your mom's caregivers? I was, yes. So you learned right off the bat the value of a caregiver. Absolutely. So Andrew, you were pretty young back then, 14, and I'm sure you, I mean, a, a, a very difficult time just being 14, but going through all that and, and also being a caregiver. So skip ahead these years to your sister is diagnosed and you're living in Cincinnati. She's living in Dayton. What made you step up and, and be such an amazing caregiver? Well, uh, my sister and I have always had sort of a, a very close relationship, uh, almost a uh, uh, mother-son type relationship because she, uh, while our mom was working uh, so much when I was really young, when I was first born, my sister would sort of be at home. We have an 11-year age difference, so she would be the one that would babysit me or take care of me or take me around (laughs) everywhere or show me things, teach me things. So um, we've always had a close bond to begin with. Just seeing the effect that it had on my mom and not really being able to do anything myself. uh, Fast forward to when my sister got her diagnosis, it sort of was like, okay, now I have a chance. I'm in a place of life and age to be able to step up and help out and just because of our bond to begin with, it's sort of like I knew I was going to be right there for her. Now, Marilyn, describe how Andrew stepped up and some of the things he did to, to help you get through this. Oh, my gosh. He, let me just say, he is an absolute light. Um, I literally, when I got diagnosed, I, I think I went into a fog. I'm not going to lie. Those years of 
watching everything that our mom went through and then getting my own diagnosis, um, I, I went into a bit of a fog and he literally, it was like he took me by the hand and he guided me through that fog. He just took charge. So Andrew, that means you would drive from Cincinnati to Dayton to Columbus for all of her, every time she had to go to the Spielman and then the reverse. Correct. Yeah. And the reverse plus back to Dayton again to get home. Correct. Yeah. So it would, um, on a good day, it would be a, let's see, one plus one and a half, uh, about a, a good day is a five hour trip, um, to, to get my sister to go to the Spielman Center and then from Spielman Center to drop off my sister to get back home. But, uh, there'd be, those were usually the days if we could get a very early appointment at seven or eight in the morning. So that means I'd have to get up five or six. <laughs> so Marilyn, give us a few details of some of the, the specifics that Andrew uh, did to help you. I understand in, in reading your nomination, he did a lot of organizing and made everything easy for you to figure out meds and, and meals and all those kinds of things. Yeah, he's so organized. Um, he turned his guest room into my recovery room. Um, beautiful, bright sunflowers in there. I mean, he just, he thought of everything and cared for me uh, for, you know, weeks. Um, he, I know he was so sleep deprived, bless his heart, but um he just showed up every appointment, you know, had his notebook, had his pencil, and the days that I would literally just tune out because I was on information overload, he um, he was in there and he was documenting everything and just taking everything in and made everything as easy and as comfortable as, as humanly possible in a, a very dark time. Um, and, you know, something that really got us through everything, too, is our sense of humor. Um, we get together and <laughs> our silly side really comes out even in the darkest of times. And that was a real healing factor and a, and a comfort to me too. Um, being able to see, you know, the light in, in that dark tunnel with him. Now, Marilyn, how are you doing? Where, where do you kind of stand in your, in your cancer journey? I'm doing fabulous. Um, what was supposed to be a, a one, surgery, uh, double mastectomy to implant, uh, turned into four surgeries. Um, I just had my final surgery, uh, March 3rd. I did have some complications over, uh, you know, during my journey, he was there every step of the way. Um, right now I'm cancer free. Um, I'm feeling good. I've been put back together and, um, you know, starting life again. So it's been an 18 month sort of up and down. Um, but today I'm doing really well, really well. And it's, it's thanks to Andrew. I owe him so much. Andrew, it sounds like organizational skills were a big part of caregiving for you. Just by nature, I have a very um, attention to detail oriented and sort of uh, an empathic view of sort of thinking of what someone else might need or what would benefit someone else. So things like um, 
uh, once I was able to leave or bring my sister back to her home and have her stay on her own and have friends visit, I sort of organized all of her room and her medicines and sort of took Sharpies and color coded every cap and had post-its on the wall that had not only the name of the medicine, but the color that the cap would be in and sort of timed out everything so that um, even though I couldn't be there all the time, that at least if she had to do something, she had an ease of mind or peace of mind to just have a simple a simple view of what she needed or if somebody else had to come in, um, that everything was accessible and just sort of seamless. Those are great lessons for other caregivers who might find themselves in this situation of organizing as much as you can, as simply as you can. So that was great planning. Yeah. And especially, I think, um, just trying to realize that the person that you're uh, caregiving for might be in that fog of mind space or just sort of have so many other things that they're thinking about that they forget those little details. So things like um, the day of her or when her surgery was finally scheduled, just making sure that we had um, hotels scheduled near the, near the James. And sort of when we got there before we actually went to the James the night before and sort of did a, almost a trial run of just sort of figuring out where to park, going in, figuring out where the reception is, where asking them where we would go tomorrow, going up there, seeing what everything is so that uh, the emotions and everybody's fog of an early morning um, surgery, a major surgery, didn't get in the way of what we needed to do. Boy, that's I'd never thought of that because I live here, but there are people coming from all around the state and beyond who aren't familiar with how to get here. And that's another great tip is if you are coming from far away and haven't been here, get here a little early. And it doesn't always have to be the, the cancer patient, but at least the caregiver, the driver should do a trial run. So that morning when your anxiety is high, you go, I know where to go. So Absolutely. that was great planning on your part. <laughs> Thank you. So Marin, one last question. Boy, uh, again, all four of these champions are just amazing the way they step up and, and help their loved ones. And as Chris Peelman said earlier, that it's all about love. And so what did you learn about your brother and in, in your time of need? You know, like he said uh, previous, we've always been very close, almost like a mother-son relationship. Um, I just, I knew we were always close, but man, this just really solidified that for me. And I just can't thank him enough. I know our mom looks down and is so proud. Um, you know, his compassion, he's just completely selfless. Um, I feel like I need to rent him out. <laughs> he's just a beautiful soul. And I already knew that. It just, I don't know. It just, he just solidified that. 10 times over. Well, thank you. And thank you both. And Andrew, caregivers are the un, unsung heroes of the cancer journey. So it's great that we can give an opportunity to you and the three other champions to, to sing your praises. And Marilyn, continued success on your cancer journey and good health to both of you. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. It's an honor.
This was part one of our two-part episode on Stephanie's Champions. In part two, Chris and Maddie will fill us in on this year's revamped Step Up for Stephanie Walk and Run, and we'll meet our two final Stephanie's Champions. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.